Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon, and Bonnie is out sick this week. She will be back with us for our next episode, um, and she's feeling a little bit under the weather. She's doing okay. Uh, full disclosure up front, I'm also technically under the weather. I was diagnosed with COVID-19 a week ago today. I felt crappy at work, decided to come home just you know, on the advice of friends and other family members, you know, not feeling well, just go home, right? You're going to miss maybe half day work. It's okay. Woke up Wednesday morning, still not feeling great. Talked to my team of doctors and they were like, let's just go get you COVID tested just to make sure some of the symptoms that you're describing are in line with could possibly be COVID, but let's just make sure. So those symptoms that I had was I was just really run down and tired. I had what I thought was a cold, a little bit of sinus pressure, uh, a little bit of a cough, nothing out of the ordinary that I haven't had cold-wise before. So, again, I know that's some of the symptoms of COVID, so we made the decision to go get tested. Sure enough, came back positive, and I'm now in isolation through Friday. My county guidelines are that you're in isolation for 10 days from the onset of symptoms, and then after that, you are free to rejoin society if you do not have a fever within that 24-hour period and you have no more symptoms. My symptoms are pretty much gone. And I will say this. I did lose taste and I did lose the sense of smell. Taste has come back a little bit, but definitely cannot smell anything. It's weird, but it's actually not that weird. So uh, eating has been interesting. You can still taste texture. You can still feel things, but you can't necessarily taste it. Like I said, most of my taste or a little of my taste has come back, so that is good. Uh, really salty foods, you can actually taste pretty quickly. Uh, sweet foods, you can also kind of taste relatively quickly. It's stuff that are in between, so I wouldn't say necessarily like bland foods, but stuff that might not necessarily have a lot of taste to begin with. Like cooked chicken, not a lot of taste to begin with. You spice it up, you can taste that. So... I've been in isolation now for a week. I've got four days to go, three days to go, and I cannot wait to get out. But again, when you follow proper precautions and you do what your guidelines tell you to do, things are going to be fine. I will tell you this. I don't know where I got it. I, you know, practice social distancing. I wear a mask at work and in public. Only time a mask is off is if I'm at home or I'm actively eating and drinking. I constantly wash my hands. I have good hygiene. So we don't know where it, where I got it, but I have it. So let me just tell you this. It is scary, but it's manageable. I'm one of the lucky ones. My cases are, my symptoms were very mild. And <clears throat> honestly, by the time I got to Thursday and Friday of last week, I didn't feel any different than I had before. So, you know, it was a quick 48-hour time where I felt bad or felt crappy, and then I felt fine. So just do what you can. Take the precautions. Obviously, get the vaccine. I've already talked to my doctors about what that next step looks like for me, and they're like, well, it's going to be at least 14 days. So I have to wait 14 days. 
in order to get the vaccine. So with that said, it's going to be a two week period. That's fine by me. And, you know, talking to my doctors and other people, and I'm really lucky. My mother works in a skilled nursing facility. And so I've had access to her team of uh, nurses and doctors as well. And they've all said the same thing. Once you get out of this, get the vaccine 14 days, you're good to go. All right. So that's the next step. It's been an interesting journey. I've read a lot about COVID. I've read a lot about things that you can do to take, you know, like supplements over the counter. And again, I'm not going to go into politically what things have been said and what have not been said, but you start to really quickly realize that when you have this, some things aren't always, you know, what they make it out to be. There were a lot of drugs in the early beginning. They got a lot of flack for this. And yet when I got a piece of paper from my doctor's office, those drugs were the ones that were listed as things that you should consider taking. So just been a very interesting journey. Uh, they recommend now taking zinc. They recommend taking vitamin C. So again, stuff that when you have a cold, it's the same process. So again, COVID is not a cold. I am the first one to attest to that. But the treatments for it are very much like you have a cold. So if you do have symptoms, go get tested. And hopefully you end up with a mild case like what I had. But just, you know, just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that because it is something that is very interesting. Something that obviously is top of mind. We're getting closer to the end of this, I really believe, knock on wood. So, again, just wash your hands, practice good hygiene, practice social distancing, wear a mask. If that's what your guidelines are, follow them and things will be okay. But Bonnie does not have COVID and she is doing well. I've talked to her multiple times throughout the week. She will be back with us when we do a show in the upcoming weekend. But let's look back at what has happened the last couple days since we last talked to you. We had... A couple days, I'd say three or four days of real severe weather that impacted the plains and then into the south and then up the east coast seaboard. Uh, We went through Masters weekend, so congrats to Hideki Matsuyama for winning the 85th Masters. The weather was great except for a, gosh, hour and a half period where they had to stop play Saturday afternoon with a line of thunderstorms. And it was really cool to see. It was a small cold front that came through. There was some thunder and lightning. Um, nothing ever detected around the course from what I remember, but they did cancel play for that 90 minute period or so. And it did change the entire shape of the tournament. Those people that were out on the course as the rain, before the rain came through, were dealing with a much difficult course than those had to, uh, that were on the course after the rain came through. So Hideki made a run on Saturday afternoon, was able to hold off the challengers on Sunday. And he claims the green jacket becoming the first Japanese male to win a golf major. So props to Hideki. That's pretty awesome. But that was the weekend before that Wednesday, April 7th, uh, 14 tornado reports, uh, across the Midwest into the South. The strongest one was an EF one in the state of Louisiana. Uh, nothing really impressive with this. It was kind of the first day of, like I said, the four where we knew that ingredients were going to be coming together and, starting to see the severe weather pop up. So uh, EF1, nothing to shake a stick at, but still pretty cool. Next day, Thursday, April 8th, three tornado reports in the state of Tennessee. EF0 was the strongest that had been rated by the National Weather Service when they sent their survey teams out. Uh, One tornado that had not been rated did do some significant damage to a few houses. So I know that the survey teams are still working on that. Hopefully we have an update by that here in the not-too-distant future. Um, Kind of the big one, uh, the biggest day was Friday... Uh, 
the ninth in uh, down south, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Florida. Nine total tornado reports. There was one fatality and seven injured in St. Landry Parish, Louisiana. It was an EF1 tornado that did some damage to a house. I'm not sure what the fatality was from. They did not release that information, but anytime that we have a death with a tornado is, is not a good thing. I will take EF1s and EF0s all day long as long as there is no loss of life and property damage is minimal. So we never want to see anybody killed by a tornado. Unfortunately, we did see that last Friday. Saturday the 10th, eight tornadoes. Again, mostly in the south. We had one in the state of Michigan, which was not related to the system that was moving through the south. But like I said, one small tornado in Michigan. The other ones were in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, the biggest tornado here was gonna is probably going to be rated an EF0 or an EF1. It was an, actually a water spout that came ashore uh, in Palm Beach, Florida, and did significant damage to trees and power lines. The video to this is pretty incredible. Uh, it's all over social media. We will retweet it out on our uh, Twitter page, at Weather Podcast. If you have not seen this yet, it is pretty fantastic. Uh, I do love this meteorology of water spouts coming ashore as tornadoes. Obviously, the premise is all there, right? It's a supercell. It does have, you know, the rotation. It does move ashore, and obviously it does classify as a water spout. starts over water and then comes offshore. Then it becomes a tornado. So it did significant damage, like we said, to trees and power lines. But again, go watch the video because it is quite amazing. I do love seeing that stuff. Uh, water spouts to me are fascinating just because of the properties of it. Again, it's nine times out of 10. It's with a thunderstorm. It's with a supercell and you get to see this. And, you know, obviously it's not chewing up dirt. So the coloring is different. A lot of water involved. And then when it moves ashore, the characteristics change a little bit. So that's to me, that's pretty cool. I love seeing that type of stuff. So that's what we had severe weather-wise. We really haven't had anything up to this point. So again, the last four days have been relatively quiet. I know that we had some severe thunderstorms move through Texas and Louisiana the last couple days. Nothing, you know, no tornadoes, some hail with it, some wind reports. Um, I know that there is still a recovery effort going on off the coast of Louisiana this morning when we are taping the show uh, on Wednesday the 14th. Um, there was a strong line of thunderstorms that went off the Louisiana coast yesterday and possibly capsized a boat with a lot of people on board. The last reports that I've seen is there are up to 14 people missing. So again, it's a recovery effort. The Coast Guard, other private entities are working on this to try and find people. Uh, reports of winds 80 to 90 miles an hour on, on the ocean, which can obviously capsize a, a vessel. And we're not talking about a small pleasure craft here. We're talking about a big, a big deal. So um, there's information out there if you want to look at that up. And again, I'm just seeing that come across now as we're taping the show on Wednesday. So, uh, you know, hopes and prayers that they find people alive. I know that it's incredibly difficult to do water rescue and water searches after a v, uh, vessel is capsized. So hopefully the uh, Coast Guard will come back with good news. But, you know, uh, thinking about those people in Louisiana, hopefully they can find family members. I've had friends that have lost uh, family members in storms and capsized boats, and it's never easy. So hopefully the Coast Guard does come up with uh, some good news. But it's been, a, it's been a trying day down in the south. So hopefully, like we said, they uh, get some good news out of that. Today, one of the things that we're looking at, two things that are, you know, affecting the, the U.S., continental U.S. The big one for my money is, again, snow's returning to parts of the front range. 
Denver Metro could see anywhere four to eight inches higher of eleva- higher elevations. Excuse me, uh, seeing snow totals closer to a foot or more. Obviously, um, same kind of setup we had before, where you're going to have cold air is already in place from Canada. It's come down with some high pressure. There is a low that is forming out over the Intermountain West. Rotation of that is going to pull up that warm Gulf moisture, and it's going to run right up against the front range of the Rockies, and it's going to elevate. And once it elevates, it starts to condense, and then you get the ringing out effect, and it's going to drop some snow. So the upper level low stirring the warm air in. Cold air in place starts Thursday. Denver, like we said, could see four to eight inches. Some of the ski resorts could see significantly more than that, two to three feet possibly. And again, guys, we're talking about a late season snowstorm. This is April. We are into spring. And again, this is when we get a lot of these storms that do form over the front range and out into the parts of the plains where you're going to see a lot of snow. And so sure enough, you know what? We're three weeks removed from the last time Denver saw a lot of snow. Well, it's going to repeat again. Like I said, starts late tonight into tomorrow really gets going. Then Friday, Saturday temperatures will be in the lower forties for highs, but they're still going to see significant amounts of snow, which means it's going to be that wet, heavy snow that just accumulates quickly. Hopefully it will melt off quickly, but Uh, Denver's in it for the next three to four days, and I'm honestly really jealous. I really wish that we could see snow like that in the Northwest on the valley floor and not going to happen. I'm looking out the window right now. It's, you know, coming up on noon on Wednesday, and we're going for a high of 70 degrees today. And we'll get into that in a minute because there was some really cool meteorology that we're dealing with. Uh, So I'll get into that. But again, snow coming into Denver and uh, along the front range. Wyoming's going to get into it. Colorado's into it. Portions of Nebraska and Kansas are going to be into it. So uh, more snow in the middle of the country. And that's very interesting to me. The other big story is we're looking at a possible nor'easter taking shape for this weekend over New England. Low pressure system moves out of the Great Lakes. will interact with another area of low pressure that is off the Virginia coast. That will begin to interact with cold air coming in from Canada. We'll see portions of upstate New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts make that changeover from rain to snow and windy conditions. So, uh, again, late season nor'easter going to affect the East Coast. Rain, wind, snow. Uh, looks like most of the impacts will be upstate and inland, not necessarily like New York City or Boston. You guys will mostly say, see the rain just stay there. But once you get upstate and then inland a little bit, it will make that changeover from rain to snow. So that's pretty cool. Again, we're talking about nor'easter in April. 2020 continues. It's, uh, gosh, coming up on 120 days, 90 days plus. So, yeah, it's December, what, you know, 127th or 124th, 2020. Never stops. All right, back in the Pacific Northwest, I just mentioned it. We're looking at temperatures today in the 70s. But we've talked a lot about on the show the gorge effect here in the Pacific Northwest where it is a gap between Eastern Oregon and Western Oregon. And this gap cuts through the Cascade Mountains. Obviously, as you guys know, anytime you have mountains, you have a chance to separate air masses. And that is what happens here in the Pacific Northwest. Eastern Washington, Eastern Oregon are much drier. They're considered more of a high desert. And you get a lot of times cold air and high pressure that forms on the east side of the Cascades. And it's fine. Have we not this gap where the Columbia River is, the Columbia River Gorge, you'd never see air transported between the two. Um, It wouldn't affect the climate nearly as much as it does, but because we do have this gap, it does. So yesterday, 
Uh, it was extremely windy in the Portland metro area, and today it's backed off significantly, but we'll talk about the fire danger that is in place because of what we've seen the last couple days. So I'm going to read for you portions of the area forecast discussion from the National Weather Service office in Portland, and I'll break it down into more of an English version, but some very interesting things happened yesterday. Now, normally we talk about when we're looking at areas of high pressure, you know, moving to areas of low pressure, you can measure the difference in millibars, right? And the stronger the difference, obviously the stronger the wind's going to be, but it didn't necessarily happen that way, and I'll explain why. So... From yesterday's area forecast discussion at 945 that came out. So surface high pressure east of the Cascades will interact with a thermal trough along the Oregon-Washington coast to bring breezy east to northeast winds to the region today into tonight. Pressure gradients will generally be the tightest this afternoon into the evening. Would expect to see the strongest winds in the afternoon into tonight. We gust 25 to 40 over the higher terrains, as well as areas in the Portland metro area as you get closer to the Columbia Gorge. Thermal trough will gradually shift back inland on Wednesday, weakening pressure gradients and resulting in less wind. Okay, so again, if you have areas of high pressure and low pressure close together, you're going to get the natural wind effect. It's going to come down the gorge. Your pressure gradients will increase. You're looking anywhere in the order of maybe uh, three to five millibar difference, which is enough to put a wind through the gorge. Again, you're compressing a lot of air into a gap, and it's the funnel effect, right? You know this when you're between buildings in a... Uh, like a downtown area, and it's windy, it's going to be more windy when the air gets compressed between two buildings and is being released. So that's the effect that we have with the gorge. Now, we'll get into why this didn't necessarily happen yesterday, but I want to continue with the forecast discussion from yesterday morning first. Still have somewhat cooler temperatures aloft, which will counteract the downslope compression warming due to offshore flow. So we'll generally see 60s across the region rather than the full potential of reaching the 70s. With that said, a few spots along the coast could get closer or even crack 70 today, but will definitely be a dry day with unseasonably low humidity across the region, likely to see minimum humidity of 15 to 25% today and likely again Wednesday. So obviously a lot of cold air, a lot of dry air. Now they mentioned downslope. Okay. Obviously when you get an east wind in the Portland metro area and in the Northwest, you have air that rises up over the top of the Cascades and then drops into the Valley. We know from meteorology that when air starts to sink, it's compressing and you get that to warm up. That's a great way uh, during the summer where if you have an east wind or a downslope event, you can easily hit 90, 100, 110 because you're getting that compressive air. You're pushing so much air to the ground that it heats up quickly and can hold more temperature. So because there was cooler temperatures aloft, obviously we're into spring. We're not fully into summer yet. The sun angle is still not fully at its potential there was still some cooler temperatures aloft. So even though we had a downslope effect and there was compression because there was colder air mixing in, we weren't able to fulfill the full potential and get into the 70s. Today is a different story, and we'll get to that in a second. But some cool meteorology there, right? Colder air up above, that cold air is being compressed. It's going to help limit the temperatures from reaching its full potential. That was pretty cool. So that's point one. Point two, we talk about the pressure gradients. Again, if we're looking at pressure gradients from east to west, you want that offshore flow. You want the negative value because that's indicating that you have that offshore wind. So here's where that got to be interesting. So what I just read from you was the AFD snippet from 945. Let's fast forward to 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Again, here's portions of the, A uh, the AFD 
breaking down the meteorology of what we're seeing because things were not necessarily adding up. Synoptically, a fairly subdued system comprised of high pressure east of the Cascades and the thermally induced trough to the west, which you talked about, right? Coming up the Oregon-Washington coastline. Several weak shortwave disturbances are passing through the overall flow, which is helping to amplify the winds. So yesterday morning, we talked about the winds ramping up. Now we're in the afternoon, the winds are blowing 25 to 40 miles an hour. Especially through the Columbia River Gorge. And interesting about these winds is that many of the traditional traits that would initiate an event like this are not present. Commonly with the easterly flow, like the one occurring, are associated with an intensified pressure gradient, right? So that's what we've talked about. Normally, we would see this pressure gradient intensify. An example is the pressure gradient often seen through the Columbia River Gorge between Troutdale and the city of the Dalles. When wind like this is occurring, the pressure change of around minus four millibars, which indicates the offshore flow, an easterly wind, is common. But today, the gradient is only minus 0.4. So again, minus 0.4, so not even close to what we should. This means that these winds are synoptically driven and are leaning on the unusual side of conditions. So we would think with high pressure east of the Cascades and the thermal trough off the Oregon coast, you would have that natural air being drawn through the gorge. It was but it wasn't to the effect that it normally was or normally is. So because we had high pressure aloft and high pressure at the surface, the high pressure aloft was the dominant feature. So subnoptically, that was what was driving the wind. So you weren't just seeing the winds come through the gorge. You were seeing the winds come through at elevation above the Cascades. And because it was coming through the Cascades and over top of the Cascades, that downslope effect was mixing out the atmosphere. So because you had that excellent mixing, you were able to take the winds from 3,000 feet to 10,000 feet and bring them closer to the surface. That's why we saw the increase of winds yesterday. And again, meteorologically speaking, it was pretty cool to see because normally you would just have that gap wind out of the gorge. It'd be very windy in the same areas. But because this was subnoptically driven, and everything was higher up in elevation and it was mixing down, that gradient from the gorge wasn't needed. So it was really cool to see. Again, I'm a weather nerd. You know, you might be like, well, it doesn't matter. It does. It's, it's really cool because we're not seeing winds that are coming out of the gorge the typical way. We're seeing winds that are basically just blowing east to west at elevation of 3,000 feet and up being mixed down to the surface. And that's why it was so windy yesterday. So it was really cool. So the north to northeast flow will last through Wednesday early afternoon and then we'll weaken into the lowlands. Expect gusts 20 to 25 knots through the northern Willamette Valley, Columbia River Gorge through tonight and even higher at elevated and exposed terrain. So again, it was cool. We saw the setup, you know, last year uh, when we had those big fires in the northwest where, you know, we talked about on the show where historically speaking, we knew it was going to be bad. And that's the kind of setup that we had seen. Now, luckily, it has been, you know, a decent year for snowfall in the Cascades. And at elevation, there's still a lot of snow. So even 2,000 feet and up, there's still a lot of snow in the area. So even though while the lowlands have been relatively dry and our March into April has been relatively dry, we've only seen less than two inches of rain in what's considered some of our rainy season. So there is the worry that we could have another bad fire season. With that said, the setup that we had yesterday and into this morning was very similar to what we had seen when we had those bad fires. And so yesterday, the National Weather Service Portland office issued a fire weather watch just saying, hey, our humidity levels are going to be into the teens, if not lower. There's ample wind. 
temperatures are in the 60s. Some of those fuels that are, you know, small twigs and branches can already be dried out, and we've seen that. So the risk of vegetation fires and other things like that are quite high. So they are watching that. They've put burn bans in effect. Again, it's April. We're not even into May, June, July, August, September, which are traditionally our drier months and are much warmer months. So people are kind of freaking out that, hey, you know, are we going to have another bad fire season? Are we going to see a repeat of last August and September where we saw this pattern set up where we had the strong easterly winds and they fanned fires that had already started in, you know, the national forest and then those moved uh, into areas and burned out complete towns and wiped out economies of several counties. So it's way too early to see that now, but that's kind of the fear that people were dealing with yesterday because temperatures were warming. We were in the 60s. Obviously, if you're going to see big fires, you're going to want temperatures much warmer than that. You're going to see those on the back end of a long dry spell where we know that the fuels uh, that are one, three, five, seven day you know, 30-day fuels are dry. We didn't see that yesterday because of the amount of snowpack that still is at 2,000 feet and above. We're over 100% our normal amount of snowfall, so that's good. But it was just, it was one of those days where you sat there and you just watched, like, okay, things do line up. These are, you know, borderline events that we could see significant fires break out if things lined up and obviously they didn't. So we're thankful for that. But again, just meteorologically speaking, it was really cool to see again, an East wind, not dictated by the gorge, but more of a true regional event subnoptically, which obviously makes sense. You know, an area of higher pressure dealing with an area of low pressure. You're going to have the winds move from the East to the West with that. And it was just, it was really cool to see. So that's what we've been dealing with. Not a whole lot else happening across the country. We are going to watch the snowstorm take shape in the front range. And then again, the possible nor'easter as we get into the weekend. But uh, back here in Portland, our forecast is going to be uh, kind of rinse and repeat. And I'm okay with that. We're into an area now where we're into high pressure for a while. And we're looking at temperatures today are going to get towards 70. And we could see temperatures into the mid 80s by this weekend, which is pretty awesome. I would love to see that. Um, no chance of rain yet. It looks like for the next six days, the GFS and the Euro have been hinting at this for at least the last week and a half that we would see this, uh, stretch of really dry weather and it's about to happen. I will take temperatures into the upper seventies in the low eighties. Uh, once I get free from isolation on Friday, uh, you best believe I'll be out on the golf course at some point this weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. It's been a long time since, uh, I've been able to get out and play golf, but, I'm super excited. I love a nice stretch of dry, sunny conditions during the spring because I know <laughs> the way weather works around here, you're going to get a couple of those weeks in April and May, and then it's going to get showery for a lot of the month of June. And then come July 5th, we hit summer. So that's pretty awesome. So I'm excited for that. We will see what happens. For Bonnie in Oklahoma City, her, her forecast is very interesting as well. They're looking at possibility of some severe storms over the next couple of days, but uh, rain and showers likely their temperatures aren't going to get above 60. Uh, they're looking at chance of rain uh, today through Thursday into Friday, Saturday and Sunday starts to turn nicer, but uh, mostly sunny. Once they get to the weekend highs in sixties next week looks to be nice. Could see 70 on Monday, which is pretty awesome. But again, we're going to watch and see what happens in Denver. We're going to watch and happens uh, what happens 
up the East Coast with a possible nor'easter. But man, uh, weather is not boring anytime at all. And that's what we love about it. And that's what uh, why we love taking you guys along for this journey with us here on B Squared. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Weather Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the same thing and Facebook, facebook.com slash B Squared Weather. I am Bobby in Oregon, and we will talk to you guys in a few days.